Hello everybody. Before I get to the show, I just wanted to do some quick housekeeping first. First of all, you uh, you will notice that uh, the usual theme song that I've been playing before the show is not present in this song, and that's because I'm getting tired of that song. I don't like it anymore. It was kind of cool at first just to have one. I don't know. I'm going to be working on trying to get something better. Uh, for now, I'm going to go back to that little jazz riff. Um, also, just let you know, things are going smoothly during quarantine. Um, nothing, nothing too much has happened, you know. Trying to stay safe. Everyone stay home and listen to my show, okay? That's all I want you to do. <laughs> Please enjoy this next episode, which is very specialized. I talk about, I dive into depth into something that I find very interesting. But I want you to, I want you to experience the same level of interest that I have. University of St. Thomas Campus Radio. So, I want to start out the day by, with a thought experiment. I want you to imagine that you were that you were 16 years old. Right, you're just in high school. And your cousin died. And you were to replace your cousin in a very high position of power. What do you do? You become the monarch of your country. And you're not ready for this. You you just made the volleyball team. You just learn to drive, but now you're in charge of thousands, millions of people because of the death of a family member. This is not a fictional story. That I'm telling you. This is very true. This is the story of Lady Jane Grey, the Nine Days Queen. And it's one of the most tragic figures in all of English history. 
Jane Grey. She was born October 1537 at the Bradgate Park, her family home in Leicestershire. Her father was Henry Grey, Marquis of Dorset, later Duke of Suffolk. Her mother, later Lady Frances Brandon, married Lord Guilford Dudley at the age of 16. No children. Succeeded July 6, 1553, and proclaimed the 10th of July. Not crowned, as far as we know. The House of Tudor deposed July 19, 1553, and died the 12th of February, 1554. Church of St. Peter at Fincla, within the Tower of London. I want to tell you a little bit of the story here. So let's start with a little background. We had Henry the Henry the Eighth. Henry the Eighth did a lot of things that he's very famous for, and I'm sure that many of you know what these things are. He was married multiple times, six wives, as a matter of fact, and uh, these these kings were Catherine of Aragon. With, with whom he had uh, Mary, Bloody Mary, Anne Boleyn, Jane Seymour, Anne of Cleves, Catherine Howard, and Catherine Parr. Now, Henry just really wanted a son. He was first married to Catherine of Aragon, and the reason he married her is because she was married to his brother, and when his brother died, he was more or less forced to marry his brother's wife. Now, he liked Catherine, but, you know, it was a little weird that he had to marry his brother's wife, as you can imagine. I don't think I need to explain that. But he had no sons with her. He only had Mary. So got rid of her and went through some other wives. He finally had a son. And that was the future Edward. Edward the sixth. His mother was Jane Seymour. Now he also was not old when he died. He was he, he was only ten years old when he succeeded. And he was he was 16 when he died. Same same age as Jane. They were cousins, about the same age. But of course, Edward became king after Henry's death, as as is tradition. And it turns out he was very very sick. Constant, just constantly lived a very sad life just coughing and everything uh, I believe doctors have said that he it was likely pneumonia that he had the doctors at the time said that it was consumption or tuberculosis TB that he had but uh, doctors now say that it was likely pneumonia 
that he had towards the end of his life. But I mean, he was he was sick for, throughout his whole life, not just then. Like he had measles and smallpox as well. But eventually, he did die. And of course, the the power then went to Jane as. According to, according to the sources I've heard, it was his will, really. Um, you could argue that maybe he wasn't in a sound state of mind to make these decisions, as he was delirious. But it, it, it made sense from a religious point of view, since he was Protestant, and they were getting Jane who was Protestant. But uh, a quote from Edward was around the time that he was going to die. He said, I shall be glad to die. It's, of course, the last bit of his life, or much of his life, was quite miserable. Sickly, sickly child. But uh, a little more background here. So, of course, with Henry VIII, he... He wanted to divorce his first wife because he, she would not bear him a son. And the Pope would not allow the divorce. And Henry didn't like this. I mean, he had previously been called the defender of the faith because he had been so, because he had been against like Martin Luther and the Protestant movement. But after he was unable to obtain a divorce, he split from the Catholic Church and started his own Church of England the Anglican churches, or if you're in America, the Episcopal Church. And it was more or less the same as the Catholic Church, particularly at the time. He didn't really change much of anything except for it's no longer connected to the Vatican. He destroyed hundreds of churches throughout the UK, throughout England. Uh, he, he killed many Catholics. And on, and when it was time for his son to take over, Edward was also Protestant, and he kept the tradition going. And in according to the urges of his advisors, he Protestantized the church more, so it was it was it, it didn't resemble the catholic church so much because henry the 8th was careful to make sure that it didn't change too much because he was still a catholic at heart but he he just didn't want he just wanted to get a divorce that was his main thing really but edward made it more protestant and then jane came along and she also was protestant very religious girl. And she worked to try to right things that she saw were wrong in society. And they're all. In fact, why, why take my word for it when I can, I can read? 
here from the history. Jane received a good education from her tutors, acquiring a knowledge of Greek, Latin, French, Hebrew, and Italian. At the age of nine, she went to live in the household of Catherine Parr, the sixth wife of Henry VIII, who, after the king's death, married the Lord Admiral Thomas Seymour, an ambitious man who was brother to Edward VI's mother, the late Jane Seymour, and to Edward Seymour, the protector Somerset. After Catherine Parr's death in September of 1548, Thomas Seymour made Jane his ward, and planned to marry her to, to the young king, whose Protestant fervor was the equal of Jane's. But Seymour's plans came to naught, when in the following year he was executed for treason. Since the overthrow of Protector Somerset in October 1549, the regency had been in the hands of John Dudley, Duke of Northumberland, another ambitious Protestant magnate. When Edward the, the Sixth fell, first fell sick in 1552, Northumberland feared for his future should the king die. Realizing that he would lose power, wealth, and very likely his head in the 1544 Act of Succession came into play. This laid down the sh the that should Edward die without issue, he would be succeeded by his Catholic half-sister Mary, who was, of course, the, the firstborn of Henry VIII and that if she died without issue, the next in line to the throne would be Edward's other half-sister, the Protestant Elizabeth. Okay, so as you can see, there's already a lot of messy politics getting into this. Everything is political, including the marriage between Jane Grey and Guildford Dudley. By May 1553, it was clear that Edward was dying, with, co with connivance of Jane's ambitious father, and against her, wishes, her own wishes, Northumberland arranged for Jane to marry his son, John Guildford Dudley. At the same time, Northumberland persuaded the king that the throne should go to his devoutly Protestant cousin, rather than to his Catholic half-sister. Alright, we're getting into politics again. So, of course... When it gets to the Church of England at this time, it's all politics. And they want to make sure that they keep a Protestant in power. Because, of course, many of the people in, in positions of power at this time were Protestant. Part of the Church of England. And they wanted to keep that going. They wanted to keep Henry VIII's uh, rebellion against the highly hierarchical Vatican. He had more difficulty with the council, whom he browbeat into accepting it, that it would be unfit for the crown to pass to a woman. Northumberland, in a great rage and fury, trembling for anger, successfully terrorized the reluctant council into agreeing that the succession should go to the heir's male of Lady Jane. He then, at the last moment, changed the wording so that the succession would go to the Lady Jane and her heir's male. Edward died on July 6th but his death was kept secret for some days. On July 9th, Jane was brought to the Council of Sion House to the, to the west of London, where she was told that the king was dead and that she was queen. She was shocked rather than thrilled, muttering a prayer that God would help her govern England. The following day, she traveled by barge to the Tower of London and was publicly proclaimed queen to the further of her in-laws. For fury of her in-laws, she refused to make her husband king. 
understandable that she didn't make her husband king because, of course, she was the true person to have power in this case. She was the power passed. It successfully passed to her. And if she had made him king, of course, just just having the title of king is going to make you not just feel power. It's going to make other people see you with more power, so they're going to look up to you more. And she, understandably, didn't want that to happen. From what I understand, she really did love her husband. Even even though it was a, an, an arranged marriage. So she was queen for a while. She, for, for simply a matter of days. But the news that she'd become queen angered many people on the Mary side of things, the, the Catholic side. And Mary was was not happy with this. So people, her, her supporters, wanted to remove her from power. And so... Eventually came in and reclaimed control. Jane didn't really have a choice, really. It was, it was really by force, more or less. And, of course, of course, Jane. Alright, for, for part of this, I'm going to be going off of the information depicted in the movie, Lady Jane. Or it's just called Jane. It's a movie starring Helena Bo Bonham Carter. You may have seen her in Harry Potter. Fantastic actress. Uh, uh, Patrick Stewart is in it. As well as some other well-known actors and actresses. Fantastic movie. Highly rec recommended. Just movie's called Lady Jane, 1986. Excuse me a moment. Anyway. Highly recommend the movie. So, yeah, highly recommend it. It's on, it's on Amazon Prime. It, or was it Amazon Prime? It's not anymore. It was when I watched it. But, oh man, just a beautifully made film. Again, Lady Jane. Look for it wherever. I don't know if it's on Netflix. Let me, I'll, I'll look it up. Let me see. Alright. Hmm, maybe it's not.
Huh. Let's see what the Rotten Tomatoes says. I mean, I don't really believe Rotten Tomatoes. Wow, Rotten Tomatoes gave it a splatty tomato there. That's stupid. That's complete. That's patently absurd. I completely reject that. Rotten Tomatoes are nonsense. It's a beautifully made film. Anyway, I I lost my train of thought. So. When Mary arrived, she she allowed she allowed Jane to live. She took pity on her, and, and well, many people were urging her to execute Jane. Mary insisted on her simply like living in a kind of a larger cell in the Tower of London. Uh, you know, she had stuff in there. Uh, she was able to see her husband in there. Really... But here's where the interesting part comes in. While she was in prison, a group of supporters acting in the name of Jane started to rebel. <clears throat> and this really forced Mary's hand. I mean, first, she was already in a tight position anyway, as uh, Mary's soon-to-be husband, Philip of Spain. He would refuse to come to England unless all threats to Mary's... Uh, Mary's authority were gone, which means... He, Philip, was asking for Jane to be executed, and Mary eventually said, "Okay, if she eventually decides to come to, in quotes, the one true religion, that's Catholicism, her life will be spared. She can live in the prison, which doesn't seem very nice." Even if, even if you are given special treatment above other prisoners, but they asked her, and Jane was a very religious girl. She did not; she had reasons. But she was Protestant, not Catholic. For example, one of the. One of the main tenets of Catholicism is that the host is Jesus, whereas, you know, the Protestantism holds that it's, you could say it's more metaphorical, you could say it becomes Jesus when you eat it, either way. That was one of her beliefs as a Protestant, and that was typical for her. She made arguments. to why to a to a bishop bishop tried to plead for her life a catholic bishop tried to plead for this protestant's life 
and Cat Mary wouldn't do it. So now I will read more about the end of Jane. The news that Edward had been succeeded by his little-known cousin rather than his half-sister, Mary, was not received well by the populace, who still felt sympathy for Mary's mother, so badly treated by Henry VIII. Northumberland had badly miscalculated, and by, tw and by the 12th of July, Mary was heading for London with an army of 20,000 men. She met with no resistance. What, uh, what little support Jane had, had ebbed away over the... What little support Jane had ebbed away over the next few days, and the end came on July 19th, when Jane's father, the Duke of Suffolk, acknowledged Mary as queen. Suffolk was rewarded with a pardon, but Northumberland was executed in August. Jane and her husband were also sentenced to death for treason. They were kept in the Tower of London for some months, and Mary was inclined to pardon her hapless rival, but when Suffolk became involved in a rebellious rebellion against Mary early the following year, Mary was pressed to agree to Jane's death. And now I'm going to go to another thought exercise. Imagine you're 16 years old. Through no fault of your own. You were, let's say you're Protestant. You're thrown into being king or queen of your country you didn't ask for it you're shocked at it when when people tell you you're not happy you're just I want you wanted to live a somewhat normal life maybe nobility was enough for you you didn't want royalty so you're queen for a few days you're starting to get used to it suddenly someone someone else comes in to challenge you takes you out of power and says, okay, you were thrown into this situation and I'm willing to pardon you if you convert to my religion. What do you do? You didn't ask for any of this. None of this was part of your choice. None of this was your choice. You were simply thrown into this world in just the right circumstances. That every, everything just worked out in the worst possible way. And sure, this person that wants to, that is threatening to execute you, sure they're willing to pardon you but at what cost why would you change because of this why because you know if you survive you're just going to live in a prison for the rest of your life it's not going to be fun for you not going to enjoy it I mean sure there's a hope that you're eventually going to get out. And she probably would have. Or I shouldn't say probably. There's a chance. Because after Mary dies, her sister Elizabeth takes over. 
and Elizabeth was Protestant, so maybe she would have taken out, taken Jane out of prison. I don't know. But maybe not, because if she has Jane in prison, it means that she'd be Catholic, and Elizabeth was no friend of Catholics. So there's really no good scenario for you. There really isn't. This is the way things were these hundreds of years ago. The people that were involved in these things oftentimes weren't the ones that set up what was going to happen. And this is a perfect example. Jane didn't set up any of this. She didn't choose her husband. She didn't choose to be queen. That's for sure. She was chosen for that. She was... All she was trying to do was be a devout Protestant. And she was killed for it. Sad story. The story of Jane Grey is an example of a whole bunch of men, old men, controlling what happens to the youth. This is the case of Jane, it's the case in war. She didn't have any choice. Moving on, after Jane was executed, throughout the five years of Mary's reign, she was queen from 1553 to 1558, when she died, Mary killed many, many Protestants. I'm sure, I'm not sure if it was an exact number I could find out. Here. Let's see. She resurrected the laws against heresy, and as a result, nearly 300 Protestants were burned at the stake. Well, I think she killed more than that. I think this must have been in one instance. I've definitely seen that she's killed more than that. And to be fair, Elizabeth killed about the same number of Catholics. She was... Mary I of England was then named Bloody Mary. For good reason. She had over 300 religious dissenters burned at stake in what was known as the Marian Persecutions. It's a statistic which seems barbaric, but her own father, Henry VIII, executed 81 people for heresy. Except, of course, he was executing Catholics. Maybe he did kill some Protestants, too, before he switched. And, of course, her half-sister, Elizabeth I, also executed scores of people for the faith. So then it reads, So why is Mary's name linked with religious persecution? 
Being burned at the stake was a typical punishment for heresy. It's important to understand that heresy was considered by all of early modern Europe to be an infection of the body politic and had to be erased so as not to poison society at large. All over Europe, the punishment for heresy was not only death, but also the total destruction of the heretic's corpse to prevent the use of their body for, of their body parts for relics. Therefore, most heretics were burned in their ashes thrown into the river, and Mary's choice of burning was completely standard practice for the period. Her sister Elizabeth was a little more savvy. In her reign, those convicted of practicing Catholicism by training as priests or sheltering then were convicted as traitors and punished accordingly by being hanged and quartered. The idea behind the, diff di the different crimes was that, while people could dispute religious belief, no one could ever possibly agree that treason was permissible. You should think about this. Hanged and quartered. I don't know if you know what quartered means. It's an absolutely awful way to die. Awful. This is the punishment that William Wallace experienced. He was hanged tied to a table where they cut him apart, ripped out his insides, and burned the insides as he was still alive. Know what you're thinking. How did he survive that? He's, he was also uh, on the rack. Probably a more crude version of the rack with, you know, horses and stuff, I'm sure. Awful way to die. Awful. If one person can be responsible for Mary's reputation, however, is the Protestant mar martyrologist John Fox. His best-selling work, The Acts and the Monuments, better known as Fox's Book of Martyrs, was a detailed account of each and every martyr who died for his or her faith under the Catholic Church. It was first published in 1563 and went through four editions in Fox's lifetime alone, a testament to its popularity. Although the work covered the early Christian martyrs, the medieval inquisition, and the suppressed Lollard heresy, it was the persecutions under Mary the first that, that got uh, and still receive the most attention. This was, this was partly due to the custom-made highly detailed woodcuts depicting the gruesome torture and burning of Protestant martyrs surrounding by flames. In the, in the first 1563 edition, 30 out of 57 illustrations depict executions under Mary's reign. It goes on. I'm, I'm going to stop there. But you get the point. Protestant martyrs became powerful folklore. First published five years after Mary's death, Fox's work was a huge success, printed as an enormous folio. The second edition was ordered to be installed in every Catholic church, and church and church officials were told to place copies in their houses for the use of servants and visitors. But by the end of the 17th century, Fox's episodes of torture and death, so the graphic, so the graphic accounts of pious Protestant martyrs submissively going to the, their painful ends, at the hands of a tyrant became the folklore of the English Reformation. 
now. Mary died at age 42 in 1558 during an influenza epidemic, although she had also been suffering from abdominal pain and may have had uterine or ovarian cancer. Her half-sister Elizabeth succeeded her as Protestant monarch, and England remained Protestant. Yeah, so despite all of her efforts to re-Catholicize England, she was not very successful at all. Even if the various sects of that religion were then so at loggerheads, that they plunged the kingdom into a civil war, Catholicism, or what they called popery, was, was something they could all agree was worse than anything else. The English were not very fond of Rome. Going back to the book that I was reading about, Mary, a vivacious, if sickly child, was educated by her mother and Margaret Pole. Countess of Salisbury, later executed by her father, and grew to be an, an intelligent and studious girl who loved both music and dancing. When Henry VIII's marriage to Catherine was declared void in 1533, Mary was 17 years of age. Various European princes had been lined up at, as prospective marriage partners, among them the Dauphin of France, his father Francis I, her cousin the Emperor Charles V, and James V of Scotland. But now that she was declared a bastard and excluded from the line of succession, her marital prospects, at least in the dynamic states, seemed slim. For some years, Mary was out of her irascible father's favor. She was stripped of the title of princess and made a lady-in-waiting in her younger half-sister Elizabeth. She was prevented from visiting her dying mother and barred from attending her funeral. Eventually, in 1536, Mary, against her conscience and to her eternal regret, was persuaded by the, by the Spanish ambassador to acknowledge the invalidity of her parents' marriage. Her own illegit illegitimacy and Henry's position as supreme leader of the Church of England, but her groveling letter did bring her back to her father's favor towards the end of his reign, and Henry changed his mind about the succession and decided that if Protestant son Edward died without issue, the throne would go to Mary which it was going to until Edward changed it to go to Jane. As I mentioned earlier, so clearly. I'll skip ahead here. Actually, the small clique of Protestant nobles who tried to defy Henry's wishes and make her young lady Jane Grey queen on the death of Edward VI badly miscalculated for even most of the Protestants in England preferred to see Henry's eldest daughter on the throne, despite her Catholicism. When Mary entered London at the head of a loyal army and was proclaimed queen, the people cheered and bells rang out across the kingdom. Lady Jane was confined to the Tower of London. Unlike her father, Mary, her father, Mary was reluctant to sign the death warrants of those who threatened the crown but the softness of her heart was matched by the stubbornness of her head and the sealishness of her faith. This is a very interesting rivalry here. Such, such, such dissonance here between, between the two. An interesting relationship. There is a very, very religious Jane and a very, very religious Mary at odds with each other.
Mary was determined to restore English to Catholicism and to this end fixed her heart on a marriage of Philip of Spain, the son of her cousin. The Emperor Charles V. The sympathy that she had gained among her subjects quickly evaporated as the prospect of Spanish marriage. The House of Commons lodged a protest. Boys threw snowballs at the Spanish envoys in January 1554. Sir Thomas Wyatt raised a rebellion in Kent and marched on the capital. Mary attempted to rouse the loyalty of her subjects with a speech at the Guildhall. So, of course, she married the Spanish Philip. Skip ahead to Elizabeth a little bit. Such as the myth, and it is, and it is a myth to which Elizabeth herself contributed as a deliberate, deliberate tool of policy. She had, as her father had had before her, a natural grasp of what her people expected of of the man or woman who wore the crown. Elizabeth was above all consummate politician, prudent and pragmatic. Where, where her half-brother Edward and her half-sister Mary had been led by their consciences into unwise zealotry. The uncertainties and dangers of her childhood and the youth in youth made her cautious and wary, reluctant to commit herself to any one course of action where indecision of ambiguity could be maintained to her advantage. These were qualities that were to serve her in good stead throughout her 45-year reign, a period so identified with her, pers with her personally that it is known as the Elizabethan Age. Uh, this could be one reason that she didn't want to marry. I mean, for there's multiple reasons really, but one is that she didn't she didn't want if she, if she married this the man would have become the king alongside her, which would have given her given him an advantage as he was a man and kings typically have more say than queens just from the title and she didn't want that she did not want that from her birth Elizabeth was a disappointment to her father Henry VIII for the simple reason of her sex, which made her, in his eyes, unfit to be his heir. Had he not discarded a great trouble to himself in his realm, his first wife, because she could bear him nothing but a girl child. Elizabeth's half-sister Mary, at first, Henry was happy that Elizabeth's mother, Anne Boleyn, had, had at least shown her herself fertile. But when Anne went on to suffer a miscarriage and a stillbirth, Henry began to look elsewhere, and by 1536, his eye had settled on Jane Seymour. Anne's fate was sealed. In May of that year, she was executed on trumped-up charges of adultery and incest, treasonous acts on the part of a queen consort. Elizabeth was not quite three when her mother lost her head. Elizabeth was not... Uh, Henry's marriage to Anne was declared void, and Elizabeth was thus legally illegitimate. When Jane Seymour, who became Henry's third wife, bore him a boy child in 1537, Elizabeth's chance of succeeding to the throne became increasingly remote. The Act of Secession of 1544 declared that if Edward should die without issue, the crown would pass to Mary, 
and only if she died childish would the succession pass to Elizabeth. Mary had been going on to Mary to her accession. Mary had been desperate for a Catholic heir, but it, it is likely that her childbearing years were over by the time she married Elizabeth at the age of 38. Certainly there was no issue from the match, and Mary could not persuade Parliament to alter her father's act of secession, which meant that the Protestant Elizabeth would succeed her. In the event, Elizabeth's secession on November 17th, one day before my birthday, 1558, was greeted with great rejoicing. The bells rang out from every church and bonfires blazed across the land. The smoothness of Elizabeth's secession had been ascribed to Sir, to Sir William Cecil, later Lord Berkeley, who had been on Edward VI's privy council and whom Elizabeth made her private secretary and principal secretary of state on becoming queen. He was to prove a tireless and loyal minister to Elizabeth until his death in 1598. My lord, Elizabeth said to him, to, the to his gouty old age, We make use of you, not for, the, not for your bad legs, or for your, but for your good head. Elizabeth was also blessed by other wise and experienced advisors, who, if not without the rivalries with each other, were, were creatures of the queen, not of outside factions, and served in her until they died. Her courtiers, on the other hand, came in and out of favor with dazzling rapidity, but she always made sure that she kept court politics firmly separated from the serious business of running the real world. I'm not going to give you any opinions of whether I think Mary or Elizabeth was a better queen. Like all human beings, really. There are positive and negative aspects about them. Both of them killed many heretics. One for the one killed for the Church of England. One killed for the Catholic Church. true. But of course one problem with her was that she wasn't married. Which was a problem because it served it meant that she didn't have an heir. And that is why the next the next king of England was James I, formerly James VI of Scotland. Yeah. It was actually James it was actually James V of Scotland, which is his father that I'm distantly related to. Washington well it's a it's a direct line, but it's so many years back that I say distant. Um, a promotion in everybody's mind was the question of who the 25-year-old queen should marry, for it was assumed by, by all that a monarch of the weaker sex would need a king to help her rule. The fact that Elizabeth never died wed, never did wed, had been a conundrum to historians, 
as it was as it, as it was a bafflement to her contemporaries. At the time, there were those who whispered she had some secret reasons, perhaps some hidden physical de deformity she could not bear to let a husband see. More recently, some have speculated that she was not sexually attracted to men. Regarding the latter suggestion, one had only to think of her public flirtations with her various favorites, such as the Earl of Leicester and the Earl of Essex, and the occasional outbursts of jealousy she was furious with, with Sir Walter Raleigh when he became, began an affair with one of her maids of honor to have little doubt as to her sexual orientation and the strength of her feelings. She did have... have she was attracted to men. But for whatever reason, decided not to. And that's why we call it Virginia. The Virgin Queen. Probably not. But who knows? But there's probably a more statesman-like reason behind Elizabeth's maintenance of her single estate. She had seen the difficulties that a foreign marriage had caused her half-sister Mary, drawing her into foreign wars that were deeply unpopular with her own people. And whereas Mary... So it's, it's all political. It all goes back to politics, man. And whereas Mary was, by temperament, anxious to be guided, indeed dominated by a strong male hand, Elizabeth showed no such inclination, once telling Leicester when he had overstepped the mark on some matter. God's dead, my lord. I will have here but one mistress and no master. The, the alternative to a foreign match was to marry one of the leading nobles of the land, such as Leicester. But the... Oh, yeah. But the obvious danger here was that the queen would thus be seen showing favor to one particular family, thereby creating factionalism and strife among the aristocracy. Not that Elizabeth did not know how to play one faction off against the other, but she was never going to permit any one group to gain the upper hand. Another problem, one problem that she faced during her reign was uh, Mary, Queen of Scots. In the eyes of the Catholic Church, the rightful Queen of England was Mary, Queen of Scots, granddaughter of Henry VII, who was Henry VIII's father, whose daughter, Margaret, had married James IV of Scotland. Ma Mary's Catholicism was not to the taste of her subjects, but in the end it was the rivalries between Scottish nobles and not the rel religion that drove Mary from her throne, forcing her to seek the protection of her cousin Elizabeth in England. It was not long after Mary's arrival in England in 1568 that the plots against Elizabeth began, and there seemed little doubt that Mary was involved in most of them. In one way or another, in 1569, there was the rebellion of the, North, of the Northern Earls. It was apparently that this that encouraged the Pope to issue his bow of excommun excommunication against Elizabeth. And in 1571, an international conspiracy called the Ridolfi Plot was exposed. Across Europe, the religious divide became more and more polarized following the 1572 St. Bartholomew's Day Massacre of Protestants in France and, out and the outbreak of a Protestant revolt against Spanish rule in the Netherlands. The Jesuits were inf infiltrating clandestine missionaries into, into England and to Elizabeth her and her council. These priests appeared no less than the hostile agents of a foreign power. 
although Elizabeth herself uh, gave a convincing display of sangfroid in the face of danger. The atmosphere of suspicion around her increased. The queen resisted all attempts by her advisors to persuade her to rid herself of the viper in their midst. Until in 1586, government spies found a conclusive evidence of Mary's involvement in the Babington plot, another conspiracy against Elizabeth's life. Although Mary was tried and found guilty, Elizabeth prevaricated for three months before signing her cousin's death warrant. After the execution, she gave a display of grief, fury, and regret, declaring that she had never intended the sentence to be carried out. Elizabeth's defense, Mary Queen of Scots, had overstepped her power. She went too far. She tried to... She tried to do more than... She bit off more than she could chew. That's all I can say, really. Uh, if you want a little information about oh, Mary, she was born December 8th, 1542, and died the 8th of February, 1587. Also known as Mary Stuart, or Mary the First of Scotland, reigned over Scotland from 15 from 14th of December, 1542, uh, to. July 24th, 1567. What? Oh. Oh, she was, yeah, wait. What? Huh. That can't be right. She was born December 8th, 1542, and her reign started in December 14th, 1542? Huh. Huh. That's a sign of politics. It was messy back then. Very true. But she she had only one surviving legit, legitimate child of King James V of Scotland. Uh Mary the, only, Mary, the only surviving legitimate child of King James V of Scotland, was six days old when her father died, and she acceded to the throne. She spent most of her childhood in France, while Scotland was ruled by regents. In 1558, she married the Dauphin of France, Francis. Mary was queen consort of France from her accession in 1559 until his death in December 1560. Widowed, Mary returned to Scotland, arriving in Leith, on 19th of August, 1561. Four years later, she married her half-cousin, Henry Stuart, Lord Darnley, and in June, 1566, they had a son, James. That would have been James VI of Scotland. And in 1567, Darnley's residence was destroyed by an explosion, and he was found murdered in the garden. James Hepburn, 4th Earl of Bothwell, who was generally believed to have orchestrated Darnley's death, but he was acquitted of the charge in April 1567, and the following month he married Mary. 
Following an uprising against the couple, Mary was imprisoned in Loch Leven Castle. Loch Leven Castle is uh, it's on an island in Loch Leven in the, in the Perth and Kinross local authority area of Scotland. On, 15, on July 24th, 1567, she was forced to abdicate in favor of her one-year-old son. After an unsuccessful attempt to regain the throne, she fled southward, seeking the protection of her first cousin, once removed, Queen Elizabeth I of England, which I just read about. Mary had once claimed England's Elizabeth's throne as her own and was considered the legitimate sovereign of England by many English Catholics, including participants in a rebellion known as the Rising of the North. Perceiving Mary as a threat, Elizabeth had her confined in various castles and manor houses in the interior of England. After 18 and a half years in custody, Mary was found guilty of plotting to assassinate Elizabeth in 1586 and was beheaded the following year at Fotheringhay Castle. Uh, it's in a village of Fotheringhay, three and a half miles to the north of the market town, Undal, Northamptonshire, England. get some ages here. Elizabeth, 69 when she died. <laughs> uh, Mary, she's 44 when she died. Uh, and uh, Bloody Mary was uh, here. 42 when she died. Elizabeth obviously lived to be the oldest. Obviously. Reading more about going back a little bit on Elizabeth a little before her ascension. After her father's death, Elizabeth moved into the household of Catherine Parr and her new husband Catherine's new husband, uh, Thomas Seymour. Thomas uh, Seymour, a man of over Overweening ambition apparently made advances to Elizabeth, and after the death of his wife in childbirth, proposed marriage. Elizabeth wisely prevaricated. As in January 1549, Seymour was charged with treason against Edward VI for plotting against his own brother, the, pr the protector Somerset. Elizabeth was subjected to intensive and humiliating interrogations, but gave nothing away that might incriminate her. Seymour was condemned to death. For the rest of Edward VI's short reign, Elizabeth, as a fellow Protestant, was in favor, but when Edward defied his act of succession and named the Protestant Lady Jane as his successor, Elizabeth sided with her Catholic half-sister Mary and was at Mary's side when she rode into London to claim the throne. This show of loyalty did not prevent the arrest of Elizabeth in January 1554 and suspicion of involvement in Sir Thomas Wyatt's rebellion. Wyatt and many other English Protestants objected to Queen Mary's proposed marriage to the Catholic uh, Philip of, of Spain, and Elizabeth, Elizabeth was the obvious focus of Protestant discontent. She was sent in tears to the Tower of London while the captured re rebels were tortured to 
extract evidence against her. Mary's advisors urged that Elizabeth go, go to the block, but Elizabeth survived. She spent a year under the house arrest at Woodstock, where on a window pane, she scratched the following motto. Much suspected by of me, no, nothing proved can be. Much suspected by me, or of me, nothing proved can be. Throughout the rest of Mary's short reign, Elizabeth kept a low profile, outwardly conforming to the reestablished Catholic faith and declaring her undying loyalty to the, to the Queen. It was in such circumstances of suspicion and danger, as heads rolled and heretics burnt, that Elizabeth first learned the necessity of presenting the rights, the right image. One can only imagine her reasons for supporting Mary as Queen. When 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 Edward first defied the act of possession in favor of making Jane the queen. I can only imagine. But it could be because I'm just speculating here. This is my own thought. It could be that she she felt Mary was going to be Maybe not easier to to control, although it did say that Mary was much more willing to have a man controller than Elizabeth was. But she felt that it would be advantageous to her to allow Mary to become queen and then possibly stage a rebellion to take over. But of course, after Mary already became queen... It was, it's pretty obvious why she continued supporting her sister. It was really to protect her own life. Dangerous times. It's all politics, man. It's all politics. And it's all messy. And all this... This has been Point Counterpoint. I'm your host, Chris Wright, through KUST, University of St. Thomas, Campus Radio. I've been recording this outside, actually. I can hear the frogs. You might have been hearing them in the background as I spoke. I don't know. It's been lit, fam. Namaste.